2: And welcome back to the Bear Report Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach Pearson, and I am joined by fellow co-host Aaron Lemming. How are you doing today, Aaron?
3: all right, man. Just uh, trying to get through a, through a long week, and uh, it's not working out so well, but, you know, it's, it's, it's moving.
2: Yeah, we'd both feel a lot better if uh, we were talking about a uh, Bears team that was coming off a win from last Sunday rather than a team that's stuck at 500 now.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I I don't know, man. It was like kind of like we we're talking about last week. It's I was mentally prepared the minute that they lost the game to Miami. I was mentally prepared for them not only to go three and three to lose to the the, the Patriots, but to somehow, some way, just because it's the Bears' way. Uh, you know, to, to drop the fourth place. Luckily they're only a game out. Uh, I'm not overly panicked. I, I know we're going to talk a lot about this, but I, I I guess maybe I had an extra week to kind of mentally prepare myself. So I'm not as, not as down uh, as I usually would be at this point.
2: Yeah. I'm. Uh, the only thing that really kind of hurts, you know, about this loss to me is that it made that Miami game that much more important. Cause if you told me before a season, okay, you're playing the Patriots, I was going to say, okay, that's a loss. You know, I think many Bears fans would think that's a loss, too. And if they tell me that they chalked up New England as one of the wins, I'm going to call them crazy. No,
3: I I agree. I mean, I I think – and that was kind of why I was so upset at the time, and I, I know you kind of shared the sentiment as well, as far as, I mean, that the game in Miami, it wasn't ever going to be easy. I you know a lot of people looked at it and thought it was, and it, it never was. It was never going to be an easy game. Historically speaking, the Bears have never played well against Miami, but they've never played well in Miami, and a lot of teams don't play well in Miami this early in the year because of the heat, and of course, you know, uh, the, the Lions go out and, and pretty well manhandle Miami at home this week, but... It's just one of those situations where you've you've gotta start winning the games that you're close in. And I'm not gonna put the Patriots game in that category because realistically the Bears made too many mistakes, too many things went wrong for them to win that game. Okay, they were, you know, one uh, one yard away from maybe tying up the game or possibly winning the game, depending on what Matt Nagy wanted to do, but it that's not a game I'm counting as a game that they should have won. That Miami game was absolutely a game they should have won and I think Green Bay is a game they should have won as well. But here we are. We're talking about a 3 and 3 team and I know a lot of people a, little, a lot lower than they were a few weeks ago, but it's just it's just one of those things you got to keep perspective on. I understand they've lost two in a row, it sucks. Uh you know, you're not feeling nearly as good, but you know, as far as this Patriots loss I don't think there's that much that was overly surprising. I don't know. I mean, do you do you feel differently?
2: I think the one thing that really surprised me, and I think it's kind of the obvious point, was the the how bad the defense actually played. I mean, yeah, you're going up against a. Uh, Hall of Fame and probably one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play. But, you know, the first four weeks, I mean, the Bears' pass rush was pretty damn good. Now, all of a sudden, these final, you know, past two games here, they've, they've really struggled to get any sort of pressure, whether it's Brock Osweiler or Tom Brady. And typically, those are two quarterbacks that just are going to sit. They're going to be statues in the pocket. At this point in his career, Brady's not going to beat you with his legs. Um, and Osweiler, you know, he's he's known for being a statue in the pocket, essentially, for his entire career. That's kind of the frustrating part for me, and I know Mac wasn't a hundred percent. You I don't care what anyone says, he he can say to himself. There's no way he was one hundred percent on Sunday. And you could just see the ramifications when you drop him into coverage or even, you know, the times he was rushing, he just wasn't getting to the quarterback.
3: Yeah, I mean and, and, you know, it's it's funny that you bring up Mac and the pass rush. I mean, they got one sack in the last two games. Uh, but here's the thing at least to me, that I'm really bothered by. And it's it's something that I mean, even going back to last year, I have I think Big Fangio's a good defensive coordinator, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's nearly as good as some people do. And I, I said that last year. I thought it was good that they that they were able to get him back under contract and keep everything the way it was because of how their options dwindled uh, so quickly even after they hired Nagy. But my my thing is with with Vic Fangio right now is I need to know what he's doing because you had eight attempts total rushing the passer with both Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd uh, rushing together, you know, and and that's kind of the thing. You look at what Mack did. He dropped back into coverage 18 times and only rushed the passer 16. And, you look at what they do, look at the snap counts. I mean, and I'm sure everybody has, has seen this for the most part. But a guy like Roquan Smith played 53 percent of the time, right? And then you're looking at some of these other defensive linemen that they had their their snap counts are higher. It's because they went with three defensive linemen the majority of the time in nickel packages, and they took out Roquan Smith for those. So you're, you're what you're looking at is you have your outside linebackers who are supposed to be your pass rushers that are now dropping back into coverage. They don't have the athleticism to be able to cover these guys over the middle, Julian Edelman, James White out of the backfield, the the multitude of different options that they have. And you're taking your inside linebacker out that has speed that's supposed to be the guy that's going to be covering these guys. It's supposed to be covering the tight ends. It's supposed to be covering all these people coming over the middle field. And you take that guy out, you leave one linebacker in, you have your five defensive backs which is normal in a nickel package but you're having three down linemen and two outside linebackers you your and your 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 big linemen are the ones rushing the passer while your actual pass rushers are dropping back in the coverage i just i don't understand what Vic Fangio is doing and what his thought process is behind it especially okay mac has a bum ankle so if you don't feel that he's good enough to rush the passer why do you think that all of a sudden he's going to be good enough to be able to cut on that ankle and be able to cover uh, fast running backs out of the backfield or even receivers. It just, I just, I don't understand. That's the biggest concern to me right now with this defense is what is the game plan that Vic Fangio is running here and what's the thought process behind it?
2: Yeah, I, you kind of hit on the head there because they're not covering a running back like Frank Gore. I mean, they're covering fast running backs, James White, Sonny Michel. They're covering Julian Edelman, Edelman. Um, yeah, I just, I was really confused on what uh, Fangio, the game plan for him was too. It just, it just didn't seem to make any sense. And at some point you have to think, okay, if Mac is on the bum ankle, I would rather have him just try to go rush the passer than drop back in coverage. Um, I saw a stat that Dan Dirk of The Athletic put out. They sent three or four rushers in that game 33 times. They sent five rushers five times. They sent two. Or they sent six rushers twice. On the times they sent essentially the blitz, those six times, or the yeah, the six times or the six players on the two rushes, they had a sack and an interception on those two plays. I, I I know kind of the general thought on Brady throughout his career is he's gonna burn. If you blitz him, he's gonna burn you. Um, but it just seemed like maybe Fangio could have maybe dialed it up just a tad bit more.
3: Well, and that kind of goes back to. Fangio as a whole. Fangio has always been the same guy. He he essentially relies on his his front seven to get the pressure, and usually that's going to be your your two down linemen and then your two outside linebackers that you, they, really what's what goes on a big Fangio's defense about seventy percent of the time is they're in nickel. So you're gonna have Usually, Akeem Hicks and let's just say Eddie Goldman as your your interior lineman, and then you're going to have Leonard Floyd and uh, and Cleo Mack as your your edge rushers as defensive ends, essentially. But to take that out and then ask those guys to cover, and it, it just I I don't I don't understand it. I mean, like you said, when they blitz him, they did well. I, I'm not going to expect them to blitz you know 20 snaps a game or whatever it may be, but you've got to make some sort of adjustment right now. And I think this kind of brings up a bigger point. And this is something that I had written about a little bit uh, for the Blitz network. You know, you, you do a little bit of uh, contributions there as does Robert and it's a subscription based thing. So maybe not many people are going to read, but I kind of want to talk about this because I think what we're starting to see here is we're starting to see a defense that, okay, may have been uh, top ten in yards and top ten in points last year, right? And a lot of people say, oh, that's a top ten defense. But when you actually look at the other numbers, when you look at the defense of DVOA, which was fourteen last year, when you look at the fact that they were bottom uh, bottom third of the league in both turnovers and getting off the field on third down, there were some issues there. And then you then you cut some of these pass rushers, some of these guys were aging, you know, some of these guys leave, whatever it may be. And then this year, you pretty much do nothing outside of Kylie Fitz to fix edge rusher. Okay, you sign Aaron Lynch, who has had flashes at times. But the ultimate reality here, at least that I'm coming to, is the fact that Khalil Mack is the difference maker. Khalil Mack makes this this defense go from average to quite possibly top five. I mean, we'll have to see how everything comes out. But I think we're starting to see just how big of a value uh, Khalil Mack is and how big of a must it was that Ryan Pace went out and paid the price he did and got him.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously going into this year, the whole thing was, where are the Bears going to get the pressure on the quarterback? The edge was obviously the weakness, like you said. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought they were going to get more from Leonard Floyd because last year it did look like he was well on his way to becoming that player that, you, that everyone thinks he's going to become. And this year, I don't even think he has a sack at all. So he's been very disappointing, opposite of Mac. And when when Mac's taken out of the equation or when he's hurt, it, it, there's no pass rush. I mean, Akeem Hicks is getting double teamed. Uh, Bilal Nichols has done a great job. I, th- I, you know, so far I think. But guys like Eddie Goldman, Jonathan Bowler, Roy Robertson, Harris, Leonard Floyd, Aaron Lynch. I mean, they've. I mean, I know Lynch has had a couple, you know, good games here, maybe two this season. But it, it's not. It, it, there's nothing. There's no pass rush in. I think going into this next draft, obviously, you don't have that first rounder, but you're going to have to either you know find a pass rusher in free agency or the draft because it just can't keep going on like this. You can't rely on a player like Mac because he's not going to go out there and dominate every single game as we've seen. Um, he's not a guy that's going to you know go out there and break a record for most sacks, and that's what, it. Just kind of feels like that's what they're relying on right now is just that that single guy to dominate.
3: And it's yeah, and it. It's exactly what it is, and I've got to be honest. I mean, I understand that Hakeem Hicks is seeing more double teams right now, but he's been disappointing. He saw a lot of double teams last year, and he was still producing. And I think what we're seeing right now is okay. You got a guy in Hakeem Hicks who's making what is it, twelve million dollars a year, and you got a guy in Eddie Goldman who's making ten and a half million dollars a year. And Eddie Goldman's not a pass rusher, but he has the ability to at least cave in the pocket from from the middle. And that's something that we're just simply not seeing and it's like it's amazing like you pointed this out earlier, right? So you you've got two quarterbacks that they faced in the last two weeks that are essentially statues in the pocket with no mobility at all that can be sacked. And the Bears not only have not sacked them outside of the one time that they got to Brady on a blitz But they're not even getting pressure on it. And that's kind of the thing. I mean, it's okay, You know, offenses are adjusting. They're getting the ball out quicker. I understand that. But there was multiple times in both games where both of these quarterbacks sat back in the pocket and saw essentially no pressure. And the thing is, is is we're not seeing pockets collapse. We're not seeing them collapse from within. We're not seeing them collapse from the outside. We're not seeing collapse, period. And you've got so much money and so many high-round draft picks within that front seven that absolutely have to do their job, and they're simply not. And I don't think it's a big long-term concern by any means, but I think it just kind of goes to show that right now where the Bears stand, their defense isn't as good as people thought without Khalil Mack. And it's getting to a point where Vic Fangio is going to have to make some adjustments. They They're paying him close to head coach money right now, I mean, he's one of the highest paid coordinators in the league outside of maybe Josh McDaniels and a few other ones. I mean, at this point in time, he's got to make some adjustments because Trubisky's going to have his up and down games. We're going to get to that here in a little bit, I'm sure. But it's one of those situations where the one thing that you should be able to rely on almost every single week is that defense. And it's two weeks in a row that the Bears' defense has not been good.
2: Yeah. Overall, they have not been good either. I mean, you look at the secondary, too. We haven't even touched on them. Against Miami, they were just awful in tackling. Eddie Jackson said after the New England game, he thought the tackling was much better. I've looked at some of the tape. I think the tackling was better, but that's not really saying much because it was just god-awful against Miami. And you saw some of the same type of mistakes in this game against the Patriots where the one play in particular... I remember was Josh Gordon. I think he turned a ten yard reception into a 30, 35 yard gain and he slipped off a couple tacklers. Overall, they got to, they got to get better, otherwise this thing is just it's just going to go downhill quick. And you know, I, say what you want about Trubisky and throwing the two interceptions and if the receiver could have gone up and got blah blah blah, but the offense is carrying this team right now. These past three games,
3: they are. And the thing that absolutely cannot happen that happened in this game is the special teams. And this is something that going into the, going into that game, I think there were, uh, I think there were six overall and, and, in, uh, in, in DVOA uh, via football outsiders. And I, and then once again, I, I, mean, and I think this is kind of becoming a larger thing that we're going to have to talk about that that's been an issue the last two weeks and it's, it's been coaching, but I, I have to, I have to wonder what what Chris Tabor was thinking here because you have a guy in Cordero Patterson who is an explosive return man. He always has been. That's really been his one redeeming value since he's been in the NFL. He's a first round pick, and he's absolutely sucked as a receiver. And the Vikings finally cut bait with him, uh, you know, when he was in free agency, and you know, then he he's bounced around. He's with the Raiders now. He's with the Patriots. But you know this guy's fast. You know this guy's a, a prolific returner. So why do you consistently kick it to either the edge of the end zone or five yards, you know, at the five-yard line and, and expect things not to happen? It's, it's almost like they attempted to try something and they got the fumble um, in the beginning of the game and said, okay, we're just going to keep doing this like it wasn't going to be an issue. And then obviously the block punt, that ended up being a touchdown as well. It's If, you know, it, I think the Bears are in a position where as long as their special teams are average – and one of their defense or their offense is clicking, I think they're going to be in, if not win, most games. Uh, But the problem is when you go against a team like the New England Patriots and you spot them 14 points with the special teams alone, I mean, you're never going to win that game. And that's even what Matt Nagy said. I mean, for all the other bad things that have happened, the Trubisky interceptions, the way the defense played – you absolutely cannot give up 14 special teams points to any team and expect to win the game.
2: Exactly, and especially a team like New England, who has been a class of the AFC for years now. You, you know, If you want to pull the upset, you cannot give up those 14 points. And that, that was another big frustrating thing from uh, Sunday's game because you look on the kick return, and Chris Tabor said it all week long. You have to keep Cordell Patterson in front of you. You 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 cannot let him beat you, and what happens? He gets his big hole. Kevin Tolliver misses a tackle, and then it's Cody Parkey against Patterson. And guess who's winning that matchup? Hint: It's not Cody Parkey. Um, and then you look at the at the, at the punt, and I I, I did notice uh, Ben Bra- Braunecker was pretty much just put on his ass. On that play by a guy that doesn't even play special teams in Dante Hightower. I I don't I don't know how many snaps Dante Hightower has ever had on special teams, but I mean he just flattened uh, Ecker there, and it, it was just a disaster. And then watching the return, it seemed like the Patriots had five or six guys back there to block that punt essentially, and on the return too. So I don't know what they saw on tape if there was anything special they saw on tape, but it, it kind of just looked like. They just dominated that punt return play.
3: Well, and, the, and I think it kind of brings up a bigger point here. One, I think that Pat O'Donnell in general, and they've, they've talked about this during the preseason, the fact that they needed to speed him up. And I think he's part of the problem. I think with the Broniker thing, at least from what I saw and what I've, what I've heard him say, it sounded like he either tripped over somebody or tripped over his own feet. I mean, yeah, it was an embarrassing play. If you listen to the post-game audio of him, I mean, and I know you were there. I don't know if you were there for that little scrum. But, I mean, I, it, I honestly felt terrible for the guy because you could tell he was embarrassed. I mean, he said he was embarrassed. But I think that with Pat O'Donnell, we're starting to see over the last few games, I mean, he's always been an average punter to maybe slightly below average. But the last few weeks, he's been wildly inconsistent. I mean, even outside of the block punt, he had two different punts that went for less than 40 yards uh, just through the air alone. And it's, I mean, those are the kind of situations, like I said, I mean, the, the Bears are a young team. They're growing but at the same time, you've got to be in positions to where the offense or the defense can win you the game. And if you have poor special teams play, it's it's an issue. And then, I mean, we're not even dressing on the fact. Why is Benny Cunningham returning kicks? Why is that guy even stepping out of the end zone? Oh, why is he back there to begin with? That is,
2: that's it. my biggest pet peeve.
3: Well, I mean, maybe you can shed some light on it because
2: I, I don't I, understand it. I, I I have no idea. I cannot figure it out. Honest to God, I cannot figure it out. Maybe I'll have to ask Tabor this week what he sees when they're stepping out of the end zone and bringing kicks back to the fifteen yard line. You're you're giving up ten yards. You're giving up a first down right away. Well, you it's, know,
3: what? it's not even like Cunningham's fast. I mean, he comes out of the end zone lumbering. It just doesn't. He doesn't look like he belongs back there. I understand at one point with the Rams he was decent. But he's not he's not anymore and he was replaced by Cohen halfway through the year last year what I don't understand what the thought process is behind putting him back there again when you have other capable guys of doing I almost kind of wonder and I I don't think Bellamy's ever done it but I almost kind of wonder if Bellamy might be a decent option because for as crappy of a receiver as he is and for as inconsistent as he is he still has pretty good straight line speed so I, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer, and I don't think you do either. But at some point in time, I mean, I think they got to do something or essentially tell Cunningham, dude, if, if you're in the end zone, you catch the ball. I don't care if you're a yard into the end zone or 10 yards in the end zone. You do not bring it out because he simply, outside of the one play where, I think he brought it out to what was it, like the 25 or 26, and they got, I think it was like a face mask or something, and they ended up getting extra yardage out of it. And maybe I'm completely making that up, but I feel like that happened in the game. Correct me if I'm wrong?
2: Uh, what, wait, what was that? I'm sorry. Uh,
3: was there, wasn't there a a play within the game when Cunningham took it out to like the 27 and he ended up getting, there was like a, Uh, there was a penalty of some sort that ended up
2: extending the the punt return. Maybe. I do remember there was, he did bring it out to like the 20 something. And then there was a penalty on the bears that brought it back and they had two offensive penalties that brought back 10 more yards.
3: I thought that was a kick return.
2: Maybe that was I, a kick I, return.
3: Because I, I remember I had it. I was tweeting it out because Cunningham brought it back. I want to say it was like the 20 or 25, and I was getting ready to tweet out, dude, stop bringing the ball out of the end zone. And then there was a penalty on the Patriots, and they ended up getting the ball. It was like the – I thought it was like the 40-yard line or something like that. Either way, point being is, I mean, even in those situations, like, dude, just just settle at the 25 because – that's the other thing I've noticed too, and this is just oh, I, the probably the last thing we'll touch on this before we move on to the offense is the fact that it seems like half the time that the Bears actually have a kick return, it gets called back, and usually they're not getting good yards out of it. But it usually gets called back, and they're on the you know the five or ten yard line because of some stupid penalty. Anyway, yep. yeah,
2: point. you're not the just, only one that thinks that.
3: <laughs> it's just I don't know. I, I'm sure we're gonna beat a dead horse and you know, whatever else with the special teams, and it was only one week thing. That is the one thing I will say. It was a one week thing, but that is a one thing that has to be constant for the Bears. You know, one of the offense and the defense clicking and special teams has to at least be consistent, and that's something that absolutely killed them.
2: I do want to correct myself. I, I did say Benny Cunningham was on punt. I meant he was on kick returns, but when they do the drills, it is kick and punt returns. Just to clarify that.
3: Okay, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I was going to ask and then I somehow forgot. But now I want to get your thoughts on you know moving on to the offensive side of the ball here. Uh, there's been and it seems like the the jury on Trubisky the last three weeks has just been all over the place. So, what did you see from Trubisky and what were your overall thoughts?
2: Uh, so I actually wrote on this after the game. I saw good and bad. The bad, obviously, was the accuracy issues, especially in the first half. 8 of 20, 92 yards, I believe it was, in the first half. Yeah, the the accuracy, is, but that's kind of uncharacter- uncharacteristic about Trubisky because he's entered the game at 70% completion percentage, and he's been pretty accurate for the most part. Um, I think the thing that gets him, though, is he's not, he doesn't set his feet, he gets a little too happy, and then, you know, he overthrows someone, or... He kind of leads them a little too far. Though that was the bad. The good, obviously, was the plays he kept alive with his feet. And the one thing I really like about him, he, the guy's got great pocket awareness, in my opinion. He knows when the rush is there, when there's defenders in on him, ready to make the stop, and he can and he can avoid it and get out of the pocket. I think he saved at least five or six sacks this season just by escaping out of the pocket and keeping plays alive with his feet. The problem is he's gotta learn when to when he does you know, roll out of the pocket and keep plays alive, do you throw that ball or do you just try to pick it up with your feet? Because he's done both. On the interception with Joshua Bellamy, that's arguably, I'm pretty sure Joshua Bellamy will tell you that's a ball he's got to catch. But at the same time, if Trubisky just kind of maybe tucks it and runs, we're not talking about that interception. Uh, but there's also times where he tucks it and runs and it's a touchdown. Or he'll or he'll keep a play alive and throw a nice pass and it works out for him. I, I just, overall, he's just so raw still that it's like, He's going to make these mistakes. He's going to do some positives, but it's just—it's a roller coaster right now.
3: Well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I mean, in, in just for a little bit of context' sake here, I was obviously I was a big fan of Trubisky coming out. So were you. But the reason that you were a big fan of Trubisky coming out is because you saw Trubisky. You're a North Carolina fan so you can probably bring a lot more perspective to Trubisky because you watched him the entire time versus somebody like me who basically watched maybe a few games live and then watched uh, a bunch of replays. So, But the thing that I've noticed, and I want to get your perspective on this, is that I feel like over the last few weeks, with the good and the bad, I feel like he resembles much more of the quarterback that I saw that I loved coming out of North Carolina than anything that we saw last year. Am I off base by that, or do you, do you feel the same?
2: Yeah, I would have to agree 100% with you. I, the thing last year was, they didn't like John Fox and Dal Loggins, didn't let him stretch the field. I mean, all of his majority of his throws were under 10 yards, and then you had the whole thing throw to the left, which is now a false narrative. But this year, you're kind of seeing they're, they're letting him air it out. He's taking those deep shots. He hasn't been wildly accurate on those deep shots, and obviously, there's a couple of balls that you know could have been. Probably touchdowns that he that he either underthrew or overshot um, receivers on Sunday, but you know watching that North Carolina, I like to go back to his last game, the Stanford game. That was a pretty solid defense that Stanford had, led by Solomon Thomas. And you, if you go back to the final drive North Carolina had, Trubisky was money on that final drive, and he. Gave them a chance to tie the game because he kept the play alive with his feet, scrambled for about four or five seconds, and then threw a beautiful ball in the end zone, which came down for a touchdown. He's got the talent. He's—I I think he's got a good arm. I want to say he's got a good arm, um, but you know he's—he's he's still growing. It all comes back to how fast is he going to develop, and and the comparisons. Oh well, Patrick Mahomes is this, this, this. That's fine. Patrick Mahomes being a good quarterback doesn't mean that Mitchell Trubisky can't be a good quarterback and what people like to you know not point out is who did Patrick Mahomes sit under last year what offense did he sit under? sit under
3: obviously it was Matt Nagy and yeah I mean he had a a much better situation than what Trubisky had
2: exactly and I would argue has better skill players around him too
3: Oh, absolutely. And a, and a much more established offense overall. I mean, you're talking about guys that have been in the offense for a few years in Kansas City versus what the Bears have right now in Chicago. And at least for me, so th- this is kind of my take because I think, especially with the, the Patrick Mahomes debate, I mean, there's no question and there's no debate. As of right now, Patrick Mahomes is probably has been playing like the best quarterback in the league. He's been playing better than Mitch but. Quarterback development I'll continue to say this. Quarterback development is simply not linear. It just it, it's not because you have two different situations like you just touched on. Patrick Mahomes sat back for all but one game last year, the final game when Kansas City had already clinched the playoff spot and he sat back behind Alex Smith who's a very good quarterback with Matt Nagy as his as his offensive coordinator with Andy Reid with all the good offensive minds that they have there. And then he comes out this year, and he knows the offense. He's got all these position players around him uh, that are that are absolutely helping him out. And then you look at Trubisky. Trubisky's six games into a brand new offense, uh, and really Matt Nagy's had to beat beat the John Fox out of his head. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. The the amount of poor development that we saw last year because of the situation that he was in is just it's terrible. But but the thing that gets me okay is is and don't get me wrong, Trubisky has made some bad decisions. He, I think sometimes he's indecisive downfield. I think other times he simply doesn't see certain receivers. And I think sometimes there's a little convenience of people taking screenshots. And this is not a shot of Dan Durkin because Dan Durkin's a good friend of mine. I'm just saying in general sometimes the uh, screenshots don't really add up. There's been multiple ones, uh, and I'm not going to point any of them out just from this week alone, where I think there's been some stuff completely out of context. What I will say, though, is, is that people have to understand, and this is kind of what's telling me that they're not watching Patrick Mahomes and they're not watching Deshaun Watson and they're not watching some of these other young quarterbacks, is the fact that, yes, Trubisky's making mistakes. He's throwing in the coverages he should be throwing into. Uh, you know, There's been some dropped interceptions, whatever it may be. The same exact thing is happening for all of these other quarterbacks. And almost with the same regularity, I would even actually make, a, make an argument that Deshaun Watson – has had more situations, poor situations that he's put himself in. He has four interceptions in the end zone this year. He had another one this last week uh, against the, against the Jaguars that should have been picked off. I mean, it hit off Deshaun Gibson's it hit, hit him right in the chest. And there was another, I think it was, I want to say it was a linebacker, or a corner that was in front of uh, Hopkins. It was actually uh Jalen Ramsey that was right in front of Hopkins. That would have picked it off if, if Gibson would have gotten his hands on it. So, the 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 fact is is that yes, Trubisky's making poor decisions at times. But the other fact is, especially within his development. Okay, let's go back to week one real quick. Okay, let's look at let's look at how well he started off. Right, and this isn't is not even a narrative. This is actual facts. These are numbers that have been composed by our good friend Jonathan Wood. We talk you know we talk a lot about uh, we talk to him a lot. Uh, we you know we've always retweeted this stuff. He, he does great work, especially analytical stuff. And the one thing that he pointed out coming into this year is how Trubisky started strong all the time, but he faded off as the game went on, right? And we saw that with Green Bay. We saw how he started off. He had the, uh, the touchdown on the field goal. Everything looked really good. He was, you know, it, it seemed like things were really moving and then kind of tailed off at the end of the first half. And then in the second half, he just, he didn't look good, right? And there was the one drive at the very end of the game where they had a chance to go down and get in field goal position to win the game. OK, the Packers' defense is not a good defense. They're still not a good defense. I don't think the Packers are a very good team. That's something we can get to later or different podcast, whatever it may be. But here's the thing, right? Trubisky goes down. He got aided by, I think it was a roughing the passer penalty. He had one more throw over the middle of the field to Trey Burton, a pretty easy throw that he completed. And then everything stalled out, right? So then you look at that. Compare that to the last two games. Just the last two games. Look at what he's done the last two games when the game has actually mattered. He goes down. He throws an interception in, in, in the Miami game, right? He bounces back. He throws a touchdown. He gets him in position to win the game with Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen, you know, the, right about the 50-yard line fumbles the ball. So, obviously, things didn't happen there. And then in overtime, he never got the chance to actually throw the ball. Another weird thing. Then you look back at the, at the, the Patriots game this last week. He had the the, the two interceptions. thing didn't really look that good. Then they had the one drive where they went backwards where he gets sacked once or twice in that, in that drive, whatever it was. Anyway, so then they get the interception. He takes them down the field. They score the touchdown. Then he puts them in position again where – and I'm not going to blame this on anybody because it's just one of those situations where he throws. He's getting hit in the face. He throws the ball 55 yards downfield to Kevin White at the half-yard line. And Kevin White just couldn't get in. I, like I said, I'm not going to blame anybody on that. But the, the entire point, when I'm trying to make here, and I know this is long-winded, is the fact that the week one where Trubisky simply didn't have that game-winning mentality in him to be able to take them down the field – And to rebound from maybe a bad start or maybe a bad quarter, whatever it is, to rebound when it actually mattered. He's done that the last two weeks. He's not the reason that they're losing – they've lost these last two games. Yes, he's maybe contributed to that, but he's coming back and he's making good on what he can. And that's something that we haven't seen from him up until these last few weeks. And I think that's the biggest positive that I can take away from Trubisky right now is that mentally – he's becoming more mature, he's becoming more confident, and he's making throws and making the plays that he needs to, and that's something that a lot of Bears fans were hoping that he would be, and now that he's being that, a lot of them seem to ignore that because he's got a few turnovers and he makes a few bad throws every game.
2: I think since, you know, this franchise has obviously had really just awful, I don't know if it's awful luck or just hasn't had the quarterback that, you know, other franchises have had. We've gone through Jay Cutler. We've had Josh McCall. We've had uh, Brian Hoyer. We've had tons of quarterbacks over the years. We finally get a young, talented kid, and he just everything he does is under, under such a microscope, whether it's fans or media members. You fire up Twitter on a Sunday, and it is all hell breaks loose when Trubisky throws a touchdown or when he makes a mistake. That's not going away. We can't control that. Yes, there has been some poor play by Trubisky. There's no doubt about it. But the thing to note is he's progressing. I said it after week two and three. I said if if he's not showing any progression this year, then it's time to start panicking. They're one and two in their last three games. That does not mean that he hasn't progressed at all because he's progressed. I mean, think about that game against Arizona. How bad did he look against Arizona? He doesn't look anywhere close to that right now in these past three games. That's progression. And That's something you want to see. I mean, obviously, he's not going to go out. He's not going to be an MVP this year. Yes, Patrick Holmes might be better, but I mean, you have a guy that you can mold into a quarterback that can win. It, it gives you something you haven't had as this franchise. I like to look at these past three games. The offense is averaging 467.6 yards, 36 points per game. They have 14 total touchdowns. Trubisky is accounted for 12 of those touchdowns. When have we ever seen an offense like this in Chicago and we're complaining about it because they're 1-2? and two. I, it, it's, it's just, I, I know the results do the talking. It's all about wins and losses. But I mean, they're, they're putting something into place. And, and you're 3-3 three and three. doesn't mean you're not going to make the playoffs. You win these next two games, you at least have a path to either a wild card or the NFC North division title.
3: I agree. And I agree. And I think maybe we should touch quickly on that, just kind of the, the, the outlook of the season, and then we'll move on to the Jets stuff. Now, and you bring up a good point because this is something that I've been pounding home all week in my head and just on Twitter and everything that I'm writing. Five and three—that that should be the goal. These next two games are very winnable. The Jets are very—you know—the Jets aren't a bad team, but they're very up and down, and they have a rookie quarterback who likes to turn the ball over a lot. And then, of course, the the Buffalo Bills—I still have no clue how they won two games—and it's pretty likely that they're going to see Derek Anderson. So, five and three is where they need to be moving into the second half of the season. And the big thing to remember here is, okay, the Bears may be in fourth place right now, which is kind of weird just for the simple fact that they're tied, technically tied for third. They lose a tiebreaker and they're only a game back and a half game back of Green Bay. But if they go five and three, looking at the rest of the NFC North schedule, there's a good chance that they're at least going to be tied for first. But the, the, the thing that fans have to keep in mind right now is that the the season was going to be won or lost in the second half regardless. And the reason it was going to be that way is because five of those six divisional games, all three of their home games in the division, are going to be in the second half of the season. So right as they start that second half, they have Detroit and they have Minnesota at home, and then they go to Detroit. So within the first three games of that second half, so games 9 through 11, they play – Divisional opponents. They have to, in, in my mind, the, the way I'm looking at it is I still think 10 wins will get them into the playoffs, whether that's wild card, whether that's division. So if they're 5-3, and three, they basically have to go 5-3 and three in the second half. And if you split within the division, which would be 3-2 and two at that point, it'd be 3-3 three and three overall, and you've got games against San Francisco and the Giants, and both of those teams look like dumpster fires, to say the least, I mean, there's no reason... Why the Bears can't go three and two within the division in these next five games, because three of those are at home. And all you're really looking to do is split with every single one of those teams. So I understand that people are panicking a little bit. and admittedly, I, I will say if they somehow go in four and four, I'd be a little skeptical. If they go in three and five, the season's essentially going to be over. I just don't see that happening. I really believe that they're going to be five and three going in that second half the second half is where things are really going to be won or lost. And conference record is something to keep an eye on. The 3-1 and one right now, they've got uh, – well, they'll have eight conference games after that. So, I mean, ideally, an 8-4 finish within the conference is probably going to win you most tiebreakers as long as it's not head-to-head. And the Bears have a lot of head-to-head tiebreakers already with a lot of 3-3 three and three teams. So – Things will even out, really, the Bears have just got to they've they've got to go five and three and then they got to go five and three again, but the biggest thing is they need to split within their division If they don't split within the division, there's a pretty good chance that they were never a playoff team anyway because you don't see many playoff teams at one and five or two and four within the division
2: yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean the schedule makers did them a favor in terms of loading that back half of the schedule with with five divisional games. You get to five and three. And you're you, you have a path that's what you, you you need to have a path somewhere you get to five and three and you have a path. What do they say typically in the NFL? you don't know if you're a contender until what the Thanksgiving mark the Thanksgiving day games and that week are traditionally where you find out if a team is a true contender or not And you look at the Bears if they you know they have the Jets bills and like you said they have those divisional games so they have the Lions twice in an 11 day stretch at minimum if you split that you're in good shape. If you win both those Lions games, you're even better shape because you also still have Minnesota at home. And and the thing I look at it is I don't see a team in this division running away with it and winning it by four or five games. Um I just think the schedule sets up so tough for a team like Minnesota that they're not going to run away with it. They they might win the division, I don't they're not going to win it by like three or four games. Um then you look at the Packers and I mean, they're very fortunate to get by San Francisco, so they have their own problems. Granted, Aaron Rodgers is probably worth at least seven, to eight wins a year, but I mean, he's getting killed back there, It eventually, I mean, it's going to start taking its toll on him and his knee. And the Lions, you just don't, you don't have no clue what you have with the Lions. I mean, they are just, they are literally the definition of the wild card. You little, you, you have no clue what you got with them. So. Bottom line, I think we both agree on this. Get to 5-3. and three, Take care of these two opponents here in the AFC East these next two weeks. Go into that first Lions game. Give yourself a chance to get to 6-3 and three and feel great about yourself. And, and you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk before Thanksgiving, obviously. And we'll know coming up Thanksgiving, are they a contender or not?
3: Yep, I, I definitely agree. Um, so probably about time that we move on uh, to the, to the Jets. So I'll go ahead and let you uh, –
2: Take over for this one. Yeah, so uh, we have a special guest joining us for uh, to kind of preview the Jets and kind of give you some insight on, you know, the Bears' next opponent. This is something that me and Aaron have talked about that we want to do. We want to give the Bear Report uh, readers and listeners something, you know, out of the ordinary because obviously, you know, me and Aaron, we both look at the Jets. We're not sitting here watching every game of tape. And to get someone that could cover the team, you know, daily is kind of refreshing. So, um, We were joined by, or I was joined by Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report and the Draft Network. He also hosts a um, podcast called Stick to Football, and uh, enjoy the interview. And joining me now, we have a special guest that covers the New York Jets. Um, Welcome in Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report and the Stick to Football podcast. Thanks, Connor, for joining us.
1: Oh, no problem, Zach. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so on the Bear Report podcast, we like to give our listeners kind of a another look at the Bears' upcoming opponent, um, aside from what Aaron and I do. So, you know, giving getting a nice perspective on uh, the Jets this Sunday is going to be a little helpful for all of us.
1: Yeah, of course. And there's a lot going on with both of these teams. I mean, they both kind of are on different paces in terms of the rebuild, but they're both kind of doing things the same way taking a quarterback early and looking to add to the defense through free agency and trades, whatever it may be. So definitely a really interesting Sunday.
2: So I kind of wanted to get into Sam Darnold because you did mention the young quarterbacks, the rookie taking top five overall. What what have you seen from him this year? Because from, you know, he had that national game on Monday night football where, you know, he kind of picked apart the Lions. And then since then, I, I kind of get the sense it's been a little bit of a struggle for the rookie.
1: Yeah, it's been peaks and valleys, you know, lots of ups and downs, as you expect from a guy that just turned 21 years old in June and started right out of the gate as a rookie on, let's face it, an offense that is limited at times. And they're very banged up right now. He's missing his number one wide receiver, Quincy Anunua. The offensive line's been okay They're You know, Isaiah Crowell, their starting running back is banged up. Uh, Bilal Powell is going to be out now. So, This is a team that's dealt with a lot of injuries, and I think Darnold has actually uh, persevered through most of that. I think, like I said, there was some bad games. I think Cleveland on the road Thursday night in a short week, any short week on the road, especially when you really only have one day for a walkthrough, is going to be tough for any quarterback, let alone a young rookie. Uh, I think uh, when you look at the Minnesota game, the box score was a little misleading. I thought he made some throws. I thought some of the interceptions weren't on him. So uh, there's a lot to take away, no, you know, even though he has 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, which the interceptions leads the league, and that's undoubtedly disappointing. Uh, I think there's been a lot of positives quietly with Sam Donald, and I think the Jets are very happy. I think going into this year, they looked at this as, a, you know, not necessarily a playoffs or bust kind of year, but more so a growing year where they wanted to play him out of the gate, get him as much, uh, you know, much sample size and experience as possible, and really look towards what they hope is a playoff year in 2019 and 2020.
2: And even with all that, I mean, the Jets are three and four. That's really not that bad for, you know, having a rookie quarterback, all those injuries. Now, with, you know, with the injuries on the offense, we all know about Robbie Anderson. We all know what he can do. I saw that the Jets signed Rashard Matthews. What should we expect from that offense Sunday going up against this Bears defense?
1: I think there's a lot of concerns right now, and I think that's going to lead to them being very conservative, possibly going max protects, playing the three tight ends and looking to get them the ball off play action. I think at the end of the day, eventually you're just beat up and limited, and it is what it is. Like I said, they're missing their number one wide receiver, Quincy Anunwa. They cut Terrell Pryor because no matter what the media says and what he's saying, they felt like they couldn't rely on him week to week, and he was a part of their offense at one point in time. And quietly, what I've heard is Robbie Anderson is banged up right now too. So I think that explains the So You have Matthews, Jermaine Curse, and Deontay Burnett all three guys that realistically project as number three wide receivers in any offense, not starting number ones and number twos. So it's a little scary for the Jets. And I think Jeremy. Bernader, who I know has some familiarity in Chicago, uh, you know, is going to have to get creative and he's done a good job of that this year, but the players have to execute. And if they're down below Powell, that takes away a good outside and pass catch. As I said, with all the injuries that receiver, This could be a very, very boring game where the Jets just look to try to run the ball or develop any kind of run game and not put too much pressure on their rookie quarterback when he's down a bunch of weapons.
2: So in terms of that Jets offensive line, you know, how is it holding up and with Khalil Mack's not 100%, obviously. The Bears haven't gotten much from Leonard Floyd. You know, is there a worry that maybe this is another game the Bears' defensive line can dominate as opposed to what we saw from against Miami and against New England the past two weeks?
1: Oh, I think with a healthy Khalil Mack, the answer is yes. Today, this has been such a weird year for these Jets tackles because they had an awful, awful two-week stretch against Miami and Jacksonville. You know, and even real, they weren't terrible against Cleveland, but that three week stretch of those games, they definitely struggled a little bit. They shut down the Broncos' pass rush, which speaks volumes of what they could do, the level they could play at. The Colts really generated no pass rush against them, the Lions generated no pass rush against them. No coincidence. Not only were those three wins for the Jets, they were blowout wins easily. So when you look at it, if Cleo Mack's not healthy, I think this offensive line will be okay. But if he is, I just don't think there's really a tackle in the league that could stop him.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of the thing we've been dealing with here in Chicago. Is You know, last week, obviously, Cleo Mack did not look 100%, and Vic Fangio decided to drop him back in coverage. But I'm kind of with you. If if Mack's not healthy, I could see the Jets' offensive line holding up well, and, and then it's going to be on the Bears' secondary to make some plays. But kind of switching over to the other side of the football, we know about Leonard Williams, we know about Jamal Adams. Who else on that defense could, you know – be kind of a big challenge for a young quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky?
1: Well, Henry Anderson has quietly had a really good year up front. He's actually been very productive in terms of sack totals and quarterback pressures. Uh, Once again, it's an injury problem with this unit. They're down three-fifths of the secondary. They're starting free safety. Marcus May is out. They're starting corners. Tremaine Johnson and Buster Screen are both out. So it's just Mo Claiborne and Jamal Adams and a bunch of backups. And actually, their backup safety that was filling in for May, Doug Middleton is now out of the year so they're almost on third string at certain units here where you got to expect takeaways to be created by pressuring the quarterback and that starts up front I actually think Darren Lee and Avery Williamson have done a marvelous job this year in the middle of the field in coverage and against the run and I think this is their biggest challenge yet is Tariq Cohen I'm a huge Tariq Cohen fan I always have been since he's been a prospect I love to see how Nagy's using him in this offense now with looking to get him touches in multiple ways so That might be the difference in this game, and I think it's a game where the Bears clearly have the upper hand at home. I think they're a healthier team. I think simply right now the Bears are just a better team. But when it comes down to it, if Darren Lee can wipe out Tariq Cohen and they forced Mitch Trubisky to make some questionable throws, the Jets at least have a chance to keep it interesting.
2: Yeah, and I noticed Darren Lee uh, tied for the lead league in interceptions as a linebacker. I mean, that's kind of, you know, you don't really see that often, especially the next couple of guys are uh, defensive backs on that list. So when it comes down to Lee and, and Cohen here, do you who do you think has the upper hand in that matchup?
1: Well, I think Cohen, I, I think he's a guy in space one-on-one will really give any linebacker a hard time. I, I think in the ideal world, and this is where injuries factor in so much here, Zach, is that You would love to give Marcus May the freedom over the top and trust your corners and man coverage. All those guys are out. And if you had those guys, you'd probably use Jamal Adams on Tariq Cohen. Jamal Adams is really a four, four kind of speed guy. I remember in college, he chased down Lamar Jackson sideline to sideline. He's the one guy really in this unit that might be able to run with Cohen and bring a different physical presence. Lee is very, very fast for a linebacker, but at the end of the day, it's a linebacker against Tariq Cohen. So, I think Cohen's going to get his. It's not shutting him down. It's a matter of Darren Lee limiting the big play.
2: And you just kind of watch a little bit of that Vikings Jets game. Early on, I noticed a couple missed tackles from this Jets defense. That's something that the Bears have have seen this year so far in these past two games. Has the missed tackles really been a big problem for the Jets, or maybe was it wasn't just one series or you know one game?
1: It wasn't through the first couple of weeks, but the, you know their reserve, their really primary backup corner, Daryl Roberts has actually been okay in coverage. He, he can't tackle anyone, and it's starting to become a legitimate liability where you have to wonder if they look to play Richard Robinson. And Roberts did get beat over the top on a long touchdown to Adam Thielen, but that's Adam Thielen. He played a very good game the rest of the way, but he can't stop anything in run support, and teams are targeting that. I mean, we know Jamal Adams can tackle. We know their linebackers can tackle, but these reserve guys, whether it was Middleton before it got hurt, whether it is Roberts, whether it is Perry Nickerson, Teams are targeting them, and they're reserve players for a reason. And at the end of the day, there's always going to be holes in their game, and I think tackling has been a very big one and a lot in this matchup.
2: And you know, going back to Trubisky, obviously we saw last week with the Patriots. They kind of Bill Belichick kind of threw a couple of different looks at him early, kind of confused them, sent the blitz a few times. How do you expect the Jets' defense to play? come out and play Trubisky you think they'll send the pressure right away make the quarterback beat them or will they kind of just sit back a little bit no
1: I do think they'll send pressure because they have young corners I mean their starting slot now with screen out is Perry Nickerson he was a sixth round pick like I said Roberts has been up and down Claiborne has been solid but even he got beat pretty badly last week and they really are now starting a third string free safety back there so They're not going to rely on those guys to hold. That would be absolutely silly. And Todd Bowles' defense, he loves to dial up pressure, exotic pressure, maybe fake pressure at times and flood the middle of the field to take away guys like Cohen or any receivers over the middle of the field and force Trubisky to challenge you over the top. And I I think that's what the Jets want in this game. They want Trubisky to take his chances down the field by really forcing him to get the ball out early and often.
2: So we kind of like to get like an outsider's perspective on Mitchell Trubisky because everything he does, I don't know if if you're on Twitter looking during the game, every Bears game, but everything he does, every play is just under a microscope and it's just it's being criticized, being praised. What is what's your general thoughts on Mitchell Trubisky?
1: I think he's right where you want him to be. I, listen, the problem with Trubisky, Trubisky has nothing to do with Mitch Trubisky. It's that he's not Pat Mahomes or even Deshaun Watson when Watson is at his best. You're always going to be compared to the quarterbacks taken around you. Trubisky happened to be the first guy off the board. In that draft class, I think the safest guy. And everybody loves Deshaun Watson's playmaking ability. I, he was my top quarterback. I think long-term, there are serious durability concerns. And I think there are turnover concerns. I think with Trubisky, he's a player that in Nagy's system, can run things efficiently. I like his athleticism. Is he making mistakes? He's a young quarterback. He was a one-year starter at UNC. He was Mr. Ohio in high school or whatever it was. So he got to UNC, didn't even play a lot after all those accolades of being a very highly touted high school player, and was so good in year one that he had to leave because he knew he was going to be a top-three selection. So I think we need perspective. And with the Jets and the Bears, it's the same thing because they drafted very young quarterbacks. And they got them on the field pretty early. The Jets being with Darnold right away. The Bears being with Trubisky down the stretch. And it's almost a reset. It feels very Jared Goff-like where you're saying, "Okay, we went out and got him the right coach now because we didn't have it right away. I I love Nagy. I've been a big supporter of him for a while. I think things are going to be fine with Trubisky. It's just Rome wasn't built in a day. And we can't expect every single quarterback to come out and be Pat Mahomes.
2: Very well said. Because I mean, like I like I mentioned, it's just any mistake he makes, any throw he makes, it's just right away the, the uh, it's just under a microscope, and it, it gets frustrating. But it's also it's very fun at times watching a young quarterback. Before I let you go, um, can you give me a game prediction and maybe something that you're looking for in this game? I mean, my
1: prediction is that it's going to be very ugly. I, I think the Bears win this one like sixteen to nine not what any fan of football wants to hear, but when it comes down to it, I just don't think it's going to be a crazy offensive game. I think the Jets are going to try to counter the Bears and really counter their injuries by controlling the clock and playing a conservative running style. I think the Bears are going to struggle a little bit at times, no matter the Jets' defense is banged up. I think Jamal Adams and Leonard Williams, like you said earlier, and the linebackers and Liam Williamson, will do their best to keep them in this game. They did it in the first half against Minnesota, so I don't see why they can't do it in this one against an offense that doesn't have as many pieces as the Vikings do. It's going to be very interesting. I think it'll be low scoring. I think if you're looking for one thing that can change the game, the Jets need either a big special teams or defensive play. They need either a big return from Andre Roberts, which they've had a few from him this year, or they need some kind of takeaway that can go back to the house or put them in the red zone right away. I think that's the only way they can really hang around or steal this one from Chicago.
2: Connor, good stuff, my man. Thanks for joining us uh, once again. That's Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report and the Stick to Football podcast. Where can uh, everyone follow you on Twitter at?
1: Oh yeah, no doubt, Zach. You can follow me uh, at Connor J Rogers and Stick to Football at Stick to Football. So really appreciate it, man.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for joining us, man. No problem. All right, we're back from uh, that interview. We hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, Connor gave us some great stuff about the Jets, uh, some great insight from a guy that covers a team and knows about them. So Aaron, I want to get your thoughts on, what when you, when you look at the Jets, you obviously see Sam Darnold. You see a couple playmakers on offense, specific, specifically Robbie Anderson. The defense, though, is that an area where the Bears should be able to take advantage?
3: I think the Bears have a, have an advantage on both sides really and and like I said I I think when you're looking at the defensive side of it uh for the Bears they're in a position right now where they're facing a rookie quarterback who has 10 interceptions on the year I mean don't get me wrong I think Sam Darnold's gonna be a good quarterback but this is just your typical rookie quarterback I mean they're gonna have good games they're gonna have bad games they're gonna have ups and downs this is a young quarterback we've been seeing it with Trubisky We've seen it with every other quarterback that we've compared him to. It's no different for Sam Darnold, and just because he's, you know, he has a high amount of turnovers, he still makes plays. So I think, I mean, the Bears have averaged three turnovers over the last uh, over the last two games. I mean, they have six total. So I think this is a prime area for them to be able to take advantage. Obviously, getting to Darnold uh, is going to be something that they're going to have to do. But I think, in terms of matchup overall, I, I think the Bears. On an even day, let's just call it an even day because both teams have been up and down. On an even day, I think the Bears have have an advantage at both, uh, on both sides of the ball. But I think a, a better defense, even without Cleo Mack at 100 percent I still think this is a defense that is going to be opportunistic enough to be able to turn the tide on Darnold and hopefully jump out to a lead, get him to turn it over a few times, and and really kind of watch things crumble for a young team. And the Jets aren't a bad team by any means. Don't get me wrong on that. They've been up and down, but this is still a this is still a young team that's lacking a lot of veteran presence, and that's something the Bears have on the defensive side of the ball.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm with. you. I think the Bears should, you know, dominate both sides of the ball, honestly. And right now, the line I believe is six and a half, so the, the Bears are favorites in this game. But you just can't. The thing is, you're not going to be able to let Darnold get into a rhythm and let him just sit back there, like we mentioned with Brady and. Um, Oswald, you, you you can't let him sit back there and be a statue and pick you apart. Um, you got to get to him. You got to get pressure. It's, it's bottom line, you got to give your defensive backs a chance to you know defend, and they're not defending for six seven seconds. If the Bears, you know, it's a home environment, so obviously you know the Bears come out to have the home crowd behind them. But it, I I want to see the Bears come out, get a lead, get that two score lead, and then just kind of just put it down their throats and and let their defenses. You know, put the, pin their ears back and rush the passer. Um, the thing to wor- the watch, though, this this whole week is uh, Khalil Mack on his injury. Because there is some talk. People have been speculating, oh, maybe you sit Mack this week. Maybe, you know, kind of give him that rest. Would you sit Cleo Mack this week?
3: In theory, I think I would. Not because I think the Jets would need the opponent, but I think it gives you more value to sit him and get him healthy for a week. But I, I think the reality of the situation is He's never missed a game in his five-year career. I don't see it happening now. I mean, he's continued to play. I mean, he played what eighty-five percent of the snaps last week. I think he's going to continue to play. It's just a matter of how effective can he be.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, and and it kind of goes back to you know others around him stepping up too. Because if you can take that load off of Mac, I mean, you're in good shape. If Leonard Floyd can show up, then get some good push up from from Eddie Goldman, Roy Robertson Harris, Jonathan Bullard, and even Akeem Hicks. Uh, it's going to make a little life a little easier on uh, Khalil Mack. You know, offensively, I think for the Bears, the, the one of the big topics has obviously been Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen. I love what they're doing with Tariq Cohen, and I love what they're doing with Taylor Gabriel. We didn't see Gabriel as much against New England. I think Bill Belichick did a great job of taking him out of the Bears' game plan. Right now with Jordan Howard, he can say he's not frustrated. It, it just it seems like he's very, very frustrated. And Matt Nagy has decided, obviously, well, when we get down to the goal line, we're going to throw, we're going to try throwing as much as we can. And he finally, you know, got smart and gave the ball to Jordan Howard. Is this, in your eyes, is this a game that the Bears can take advantage and use Jordan Howard, kind of milk that clock, get up, and, and give their workhorse the ball?
3: I think it could be. Uh, I think the big issue right now with the Bears running game is, is I mean, Tre'Y Cohen's broke off a few chunk plays or whatever it is, but, I mean, the running game in general has not been good. That 130 yards, 135 yards per game that they're averaging, very deceiving because of Mitch Trubisky and what he's been able to do with the legs when he's scrambling out of the pocket. So I, I think for Howard, I think some of it's definitely a vision, and I, I think it's just going to be, you've got to get him established because the reality of it is, it's getting colder. You know that. You're in Chicago. You, you see all these games. I mean, there's there's been snow games. There's been rain games. There's been all sorts of cold games already. And as this progresses further into the season, as the weather gets worse and when you really can't throw the ball nearly as much, you need to be able to rely on that run game. That's something that the Bears have been able to do for the most part over the last few years. So I think it's a matter of when and not if. Howard gets going but you'd like to see that sooner rather than later because I still think he's going to be your bell cow back I think Tariq Cohen is uh, you know good to have in the backfield I think he's a better receiver and I think he's a good weapon overall, but you still want Howard Especially when it starts getting cold and when you're running the ball a lot You still want him to have 15 20 touches a game
2: Yeah, I I agree at some point they're gonna have to get him going It can't go on all year like this obviously. Um so uh Let's get your prediction and give me um give me a matchup to watch for Sunday's game in New York, against New York.
3: Well, I'm going to go uh, as far as a score prediction. I'm going to go 31-20 Bears. I've been kind of short selling them a little bit on offense lately, but I just I think this is a the game that have to win. Um, I think really what this is going to come down to, at least for me, uh, the matchup that I'm going to be watching most is going to be the secondary versus Sam Darnold. Like I said, I, I, I think, I mean, like I said, Dan, Darnold's not a bad quarterback, but he's throwing a lot of interceptions. He leads the league in interceptions right now. And I think this is a game where maybe Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos haven't been as good over the last few weeks. And, you know, uh, you know the, the, the secondary as a whole really hasn't been that good. We talked about that earlier. But I think this is really a game where they can get back on track and instead of, you know, Adrian Amos blindly knocking the ball up in the air And, you know, Kyle Fuller coming down with it. I think this is a game where we could actually see, you know, defensive backs that are uh, jumping the ball and and, and making plays, and maybe we see a pick six. But I think that's going to be the main thing that I'm going to be watching for this week because I think it's a very good matchup for the Bears and it can allow their secondary to kind of get back in a little bit of a rhythm.
2: Yeah, so for my uh, prediction, I'm going to go 27-18 Bears. And actually, I'm going to flip it on the other side of the ball. I'm actually going to use Mitchell Trubisky against the Jets secondary. Obviously, we know about Jamal Adams back there, playmaking safety for the Jets. I'm interested to see if, if Trubisky can kind of pick apart that secondary. Um, they're going to be missing their strong, uh, one of their safeties, and Marcus May, who's going to be out, I believe he's got a fractured or broken thumb. Um so, yeah, I want to see if Trubisky tests these corners early, gives his receivers like Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, a chance to go up and win, you know, win the battles. And just, I just want to see how accurate he is. I want to see him kind of rebound and not come out flat and, you know, only complete eight of his 20 attempts. And maybe if that, you know, includes rushing, running the football a little more with Jordan Howard and Tariq and to kind of take that pressure off Trubisky's shoulders of throwing. Maybe that's what you have to do. But I'm gonna look. I'm looking at Mitchell Trubisky against the secondary.
3: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like, like I said, I mean, I, I think the Bears match up very well. And I think this is a game, especially at home, they should win. And they should have the advantage on both sides. So I think this is one of those games for fans especially where I think we're always kind of looking to see like, hey, you know, let, let's see this get back on track. Maybe not as good as Tampa Bay, but let's see a complete game. Let's see some, you know, the defense get back on track. Let's see the offense continue to progress. And let's see a game where we're not sitting there losing our minds for the last, you know, quarter of the game because it's so close or so crazy. So, I mean, that's really what I'm looking for.
2: Well, Aaron, uh, I think our time is up here. Um, Running close to, we'll be about an hour on the podcast. Uh, Thanks again, man. I'm enjoying doing these. I'm glad they're back. Um, Can you tell the uh, Bear Report listeners and all the listeners out there where they find you on Twitter?
3: Yeah, you can find me at Aaron Leming, one uh, M, um, NFL, and yeah, that's 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 pretty much it, man. This, these are gonna these are gonna continue to to be fun, and I'm I'm glad that we came up with the idea to get these, you know, get guests on and kind of give fans a little bit better perspective on uh, on the opposing team than we could, because like you said, I mean, we're only watching little highlights, we're not covering this the the, the opposing team. So I, I think we got some good things coming. I'm really glad that we're doing this.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely excited. I you know, I hope the Bears obviously keep winning. Makes it much more fun for us to do.
3: I I definitely <laughs> agree, that is for sure.
2: Uh yeah, you can find me at on Twitter at, at Zach underscore Pearson. That's Zach with the K. You can find this podcast um, on iTunes and I believe a couple of our outlets. I'll post them in the uh on the farm. But uh yeah, man, it was fun. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks again
3: absolutely man and i appreciate everybody tuning in and you know as, as we get going here and we kind of get feeling each other out a little bit we'll get get more creative and you know have all sorts of fun stuff but this is something that's uh not going anywhere anytime soon and uh we're just going to keep keep improving and keep keep doing things you guys want so any any comments concerns or you know anything like that that you guys have always always feel free to hit either one of us up and anything we can do to make this thing better we're definitely uh more than more than open to that
2: Well said. Perfect. This has been another episode of the Bear Report Podcast. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you again next week.
4: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.